we talk of ourselves as we're a community bank at scale. And that comes from our soul as a community bank. We profoundly believe that America needs community banks. And they're financial institutions that are fundamentally committed to the welfare of the communities they do business in. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. This afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Francesco Lagutain. Francesco, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, David. Great to be here. Absolutely. For our listeners who, who may not be familiar, can you just briefly tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Certainly. I am now the Chief of Marketing and Communication Officer at M&T Bank, which is a bank in the Northeast. We occupy, we like to say, 25% of the GDP, 22% of the country up here in the Northeast. I mean, everyone where I'm from knows M&T, that's for sure. So excited to get into some of the stuff that you're working on and, you know, representing Buffalo, which I, I love as a Bills fan. But before that, we like to start the episode, Francesco, with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave uh, the listeners with today. I'll give you a piece of advice that was given to me very early in my career that sounds like counterintuitive, but in many ways was profound. Never be too good at your job. And to me, that has always meant always keep on growing. If you, When you get too good, you get complacent, you get comfortable. People get comfortable with you in a certain role. Always show your curiosity, desire to grow, push yourself in areas where you're learning, where you're always a little bit uncomfortable, and that will keep you progressing. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was just on the phone with my mom an hour or so ago, and all of the listeners, though, she's the president and CEO of a nonprofit called the Center for Great Expectations out in New Jersey. But we were having this conversation, and, and she actually referenced, the older I get, the less I know. And it's just in that, that humility of striving to always learn more because truly, you th- when you think about the universe and just everything, different cultures across the world, it's true. So I, anyway, I, that's all just to say that I really appreciate that, that piece of advice to start the episode. 
Francesco, so let's first find out a little bit more about you. So, you know, I know you've been at Manulike and City, but how did you start out and how did you get to the point in your career that you're at today? So I started out as a law school degree, knowing that I didn't want to become a lawyer. And I went and I always like to say my dad was an engineer and an artist. And I always loved that intersection of art and science and finding mathematical rhythms in art. And that's where I've sort of like really kind of majored my curiosity, which is bringing creativity to business. I started out in advertising, which was a great place to kind of learn that. And, and back in the nineties, that was sort of like central um, to businesses. And you know, the positioning was what really drove businesses. With the web 2.0 and the beginning of 2001, uh, the whole sort of like brand centricity shifted to experience and businesses and brands were no longer built and defined on positioning. They were built and defined of consistency of an infinite series of interactions. And that's where I got really interested in moving to the client side. And I joined Citibank in New York. That was probably one, one of the big uh, defining shifts in my career. The second one, I would say when in 2009, the world stopped in, in financial world US, it was a great opportunity that opened up in Asia Pacific and then moved to Singapore to be the, the chief marketing and, and service officer for city in Asia Pacific. And that was a fantastic uh, growth spurt for me. Asia as continues to be, but certainly at the time was incredibly dynamic, incredibly entrepreneurial. And, and city was a fantastic organization. And I really understood how of creative thinking as a disruptor in how businesses is run. And I worked with an incredible group of business leaders that were welcoming of those approach and, and we did some amazing things. And uh, now three years ago, I came back to the US. I work with just as a curious and imaginative leaders here at MNT, and we're trying to bring some of that thinking to a phenomenal regional bank here in the Northeast. Cool. We're actually looking to bring disruptive innovators to the Asia Pacific region. We started to get more into London this year, and then we have some conversations going with, you know, a number of uh, the countries out that way. I mean, like you said, I mean, things are just taking off. I mean, look at in India, for example. Did your family go with you overseas? Absolutely. We uh-huh. went there three year old. We came back with three boys. So we, you know, we spent 11 years there. It was a fantastic time both for me professionally, but for the whole family, it was, it was just an, an incredible experience. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's so important. You know, I had someone on a while back, Nancy Post from John Deere. And she talked about how when she traveled for work, when she'd come back with her kids, she'd always tell her her children about the culture and about what she learned. And I just thought that was really cool. And to get to that lived experience, I think is invaluable. Yeah, very cool. What would you say, Francesco, is one of the most important things that you learned over the course of your journey? And I always like to ask, what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I don't know that, or or at least I can't necessarily think of a moment where there's like a, a pre and post necessarily. Uh, I think certainly my life has been a constant sort of iterative learning process. And there are moments where, you know, back to never be too comfortable, right? There are moments where it's a very rapid iteration of growth and there are moments where things slow down. But... I, I would say curiosity it has always been a big driver and that progressively becoming more and more comfortable with being uncomfortable and more and more comfortable with 
questioning and more and more comfortable with not being sure. Because then that's kind of hard when you start out, right? You, you get the sense of like, you crave to be an authority. And, and I found out that actually the people who knew more were actually the people who asked the better questions. No, not because they knew the answers, but they knew better questions to ask. That, so that's certainly something that I've always strived to do is, is like constantly refine my curiosity because the, the, the speed of your growth depends on the quality of the questions you can ask. I love that. It reminds me, I used to, on a number of the earlier episodes of Disruptive Innovators, we talked a decent amount about imposter syndrome. And as an entrepreneur starting out, I was so susceptible to that. And there's just a lot of fear of failure, uncertainty. And like you're saying, I just had to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it was hard, but it became a, a practice and it involved, you know, the lived experiences and mindfulness, realizing that Acting right away is not always the right solution. I love your remarks about, you know, being inquisitive and curious too, because I feel like everything that I've done with disruptive innovators, with disruptive innovations is a product of me asking people that know more than me about best practices, about frameworks, and just kind of collecting that all together and then offering that to people and continually doing that. I'd ask you too, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the growth throughout the course of your life, sometimes it being, you know, what I heard was like more exponential, sometimes kind of being more just consistent. Is there a time that you were challenged or a moment that was actually particularly difficult to get through, but leading out of that, you experienced some of that exponential growth? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you talk about imposter syndrome. When I, when I moved to Asia, I had, I was probably three or four years into my client job. I had left sort of like the advertising career behind. My first year is in New York. I was still in charge of advertising and I moved to Asia, a completely new place where I was the head of marketing and sale and customer service and working with an incredibly talented group of business leaders and all of a sudden, I was supposed to carry my own in business reviews and in investment in a bank, right? And so I remember for a good three months, if not more, I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking, tomorrow's the day they'll find out I'm out of my debt. And, and I remember I was hired by an individual that then moved on almost instantly when I got there and I ended up working for these CEO who I was terrified of from when I knew him because he was an incredibly sharp guy, but he ended up be becoming a really good friend and the best boss I've ever worked for. And he assembled this great group of people. And I went to the first meeting that he called out up. And I remember flying back and calling my wife as soon as, as I landed. And I said, you know, it's like, I'm going to Pamplona. It's like, I'm going to run with the bulls. And it's like, there's a good chance if I keep up, I'll have the best time of my career, but there's a good chance that I'm going to get trampled. And, and that notion, what sort of drives me is like, I don't know where this is going to go, but if I was to be successful, what's the next thing I should do? And that's what kind of kept me going. But 
it opened up this incredible world where I was, you know, I came from an, a creative industry that was about telling stories. And I brought it into creating experiences, creating business opportunities, building value propositions. You know, we started thinking about journeys before journeys wasn't even a word on how we were rethinking the role of branches in, in the cities in Asia. And it opened up a whole new world and a whole new confidence for me as well. But I'm not lying. The first six months, it, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. But it, it just goes to show you. I mean, I, I appreciate that vulnerability so much because I feel like most any executive or any business leader that's really striving for that level of growth is going to be flying over their skis at some point, whether they admit it or not. Sometimes they'll be, you know, leveraging their ego to, you know, hide those feelings of insecurity, but it's there, you know, it's there if they're really reaching. So yeah, I appreciate that so much. Um, and I'm a city client myself. I appreciate they're revamping the business portal, but I love their experience. It's been something that I I've enjoyed for many years now. I, and honestly, now that I know everything you guys are doing with the Bills, I kind of want to do it. I'm going to be up in Buffalo to see a game uh, later this year too. So I'll come on by. So Francesco, let's get into uh, M&T. Before we do, I always just like to ask favorite books that you've read recently or literary piece, podcast, or you could go all time, any piece that you're particularly keen on either lately or just in general? I'll give you in general. Lately, I, I mix, I like to read a lot of nonfiction, especially history. And sort of, I like how the recent history, like, like, you know, books about, I, I love this retrospective on like the great financial crisis or, you know, the debt or and these things, but, or I read a lot of history, like mid sort of 19th century history things. But I would say one of the books that had the most profound impressions on me as I was sort of growing up, I was a very young adult is Immortality by Mian Kundera or Kundera, whatever, and he actually just recently died, but he was a very popular author to Czech Republic in the 90s. And they're kind of like sort of philosophical novels, maybe. But what I really liked about that was the author, he's got sort of like this observation. So he observes and interprets actions and gestures and behaviors that are intuitive and second nature on a daily basis. And so, sort of helps people understand the impacts of things that we do as just because they're instincts, but that reveal still a motivation that's within you. And when you think about marketing and you think about driving a business, that's that, you know, I think the edge is when you understand the subliminal motivation behind human actions. That's where you can actually then position your product, position your offer, your campaign, and that's what gives you the edge. And part of that mindset of like of trying to understand the reason for certain gestures, the fascination started there. Yeah. I mean, that's super cool. And I think, I mean, you nailed it in starting there and going into those like subliminal action, subliminal actions is taking it even a step further. I have to check it out. I've never read the book. The Four Agreements, I read that at that like kind of young adult phase and that had a, a big impact on me. And also learning about, this is kind of tangential, like the way that I'm, I became very conscious of the way that I treat people that I may have otherwise been indifferent to. So 
when I'm going about my day, you know, how am I interacting with, you know, the barista, you know, person that I pass in the elevator, you know, I guess that's not necessarily relevant to customer experience, but just that, like, being conscious of that was, you know, really important in my life. Anyway, I digress. So for Francesco, let's talk about M&T Bank. So, you know, you're the chief marketing communications and digital officer for M&T Bank. Talk to me a little bit about your vision for the organization as it's derived from the overall, you know, mission of M&T Bank. We have a great mission and I've actually sort of discovered coming to M&T Bank, it's sort of like dimensional banking that for a marketer is an incredibly fertile place to be. We talk of ourselves as we're a community bank at scale. And that comes from our soul as a community bank. We profoundly believe that the country, America needs community banks and there are financial institutions that are fundamentally committed to the welfare of the communities they do business in. National banks will are, are mostly committed to shareholders. And so you will see their business migrates as opportunities to, to do business migrate. So you'll see often they close businesses, they close branches in certain parts of the country and open in others because that's where the wealth is going. Many banks are banks that are, are committed to their community and they become, and they're, because of that, they are particularly important to those communities. And, and so we put the wealth, the well-being of our communities at the center of, of everything that we do. At the same time, the way the financial world and banks is evolving, we see that, you know, customers expect certain the convenience and of, of products and digital capabilities. They expect the safety that comes with significant technological capabilities, some of the sophistication, and those are all product of scale. And so there is that area where you like the empathy and the connection and the commitment of a community bank, but a community bank struggles to give you the benefits of scale and vice versa, a bank that gives you the benefits of scale struggles to give you that empathy. And we like to play in that space where we're not the only one doing it. As you, many of the super regional probably want to play in that space. I believe that we're one of the best at doing it. It, be, it, it comes to degrees of, of execution and, it, and it's, it's two things. One is that commitment that you have to be a community bank and always thinking about scale at in service of the community first. So what are the benefits to the customer, the community that we can use scale for as opposed to necessarily in community um, of the bank? And I'll give you an, uh, a reason why I think we are we do it really well. We like to talk about this notion of we live here. One of the things that M&T has done really well is it, it has senior management is decentralized. We have very high level of, of senior leaders and in any of the 28 communities that we do business in. And that creates a personal commitment to those communities. It's easy for, for banks to say, well, I'm a community bank. But for me, in Buffalo, the schools in Buffalo are the schools that my kids go to. The food in Buffalo is the food that my family eats. The streets are the streets that we walk. And whether they're safe or not, it's personal to me. And that what makes, I believe, us genuine when we say we really care about the communities we operate in. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, it's really cool to see 
that community back at scale. And I mean, I do feel that based on what I've seen from M&T Bank. What are some of the key initiatives you're focused on right now, Francesco, from a technology and operations standpoint, what you can share of that? So it's kind of tricky to go because, you know, it's really interesting. The part that what we're focused on is in hitting the perfect balance in our technology delivery to our customers. And by that, I mean, we operate mostly in second, third tier cities in the Northeast. We have an incredible humanity advantage. If you go into any of our branches, the engagement in the branches, the attitude that our branch staff has, you know, people work for Tremonti forever. And, and that commitment is something that is unique in every client feels. So when we build digital capabilities, we built digital capabilities that the sweet spot for us is we want to deliver everything the customer reasonably expects and wants to do digitally, digitally and really simply. But we're also very happy for them to go into a branch. And, you know, one of the things here is like, we like to talk about this as a higher degree of personalization. And, you know, a lot of people talk about data as a way to know your customers. And obviously we employ data. Banking is a very data rich industry. We love to employ data for personalization and, you know, knowing our customers. But we believe that there's a higher degree of, of, of knowledge, which is, it's not just we know them, but what's beautiful for us is customers know us. And by that, I mean, we'll keep to a branch and they recognize. I mean, I'm always amazed by when I visit branches to see customers come in and they greet tellers like their friends. And that to me is that two-way personalization and two-way recognition that is, is, is very unique. Yeah, that is unique. And it's funny. I've never, I mean, I've obviously seen that before in pockets or in certain instances, but I've never thought about it from a customer experience, you know, journey planning standpoint, that two-way you know, recognition, if you will. I mean, that's, that's special. Think about it as a restaurant, right? If you walk into a restaurant, the, you know, web 2.0, you walk into a restaurant and you are sure exactly what you feel that to what you want to eat that day, even before you thought about it. Pretty awesome, right? It's like every meal is pretty good, but aren't you going to miss that sort of like familiar face of the owner of the restaurant that you've known for a long time? And you can, and, 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 and when you come in and say, Hey, Mario, what's happening? You know, what do you have today? Right. And then it gets what you really want that day. It's served with that humanity and that, pers- that personality that gives you the sense that you've come home as opposed to you come to a place that can simply guess what you want. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's profound and it's true. And oftentimes I will go to the place, like the, the, I'll gravitate towards those places, the places where people know me, you know, the, Maybe I'll get a like free appetizer, you know, or it's just a, a pleasant experience. And so that makes a lot of sense. I just, I haven't employed it in as much from a business standpoint. So it's just good to think about. How about any challenges that are facing M&T as a, a business today? Well, 
you know, the, the challenge is there's always a number of challenges. There's environmental challenges. And, uh, and by that, there's challenges that the industry has. But from our perspective, also the challenges that we have to help our customers with, right? We've gone through COVID. Coming out of COVID, we've gone through an unprecedented for many customers period of high interest rates. The high interest rates were normal for many of us that have a few more springs behind us. But there's a huge generation of customers that have never certainly in their their adult lifetime experienced high interest rates. And so how do you help customers transition and understand how your financial behavior needs to change as some of these fundamental macroeconomic conditions change? Those that's, you know, from a marketing perspective and an innovation perspective, that's what's uh, most interesting to me. Yeah, 100%. That makes a lot of sense. How about any particularly innovative technologies that are on the, the roadmap that you're excited about? Anything that, that comes to mind there? We like to major on the problem that we're trying to solve and technology that we're, we're looking to adopt. And I'll give you a quick answer before coming with something a little more exciting. But the most disruptive in terms of customer benefit technology that we quickly adopted during COVID, two, electronic signature and the ability to make an appointment over the website. And those were very simple, but our ability to understand those were the two most immediate needs that our customers had did two things. One is our ability to make sure the customer didn't lose a step in, in their financial needs by doing business remotely. The other thing that we learned from appointment setting was actually was useful, but also more profound for later, which is whenever we use that as a way to get together with our customers, our customers arrived better prepared for the meeting. The banker was better prepared for the meeting. There, there's a whole exchange that can go on, you know, often the customers come in and they say, do you have your social security card for certain things that are still requirements? And the customer has to go home, right? Now we can actually tell them. You see, the, the issue was... How can I make my meeting most effective? And sometimes it's not the most cutting edge technology that gives you that, that advantage. Aside from that, we are constantly experimenting. So one of the things that we're most, probably most engaged in experimenting right now is AI. And we're trying to look at AI from analytics perspective in terms of like helping us in real time predict customer issues and, and help customer service through that all the way from Kind of like the simple end of how do we automate some of the marketing tasks and, you know, allowing us to put human creativity where it's best used. Love that. Uh, very cool. I, but I agree with you in that I was just talking to a peer about this earlier today about how, because I'm speaking on a panel in a few months about this, about how as a technology advisor, you can't just be an order taker sourcing technology, right? If you want to be a trusted advisor, because more often than not nowadays, the issue that you're trying to solve for technology doesn't directly solve it. You know, there's operational considerations that need to be made or workflow changes. Like before we're just migrating from one technology to another, like throw it up on the board, right? And I read a book and I, I've cited it a few times, The Phoenix Project. It's about DevOps, right? So it's, but when you think of the customer journey from the first interaction, the first time a customer ever touches your 
organization throughout the continuum and then ad infinitum as you look to follow up and kind of get them in the organization, where are those bottlenecks? Like, where do I have to look out for, you know, ways to improve that experience all the way through? And when I think about things that way, it helps point out, you know, and then I look at how technology can better serve that journey, right? And solve for those or help solve for those issues. And how quickly and simply you solve those problems augments your ability to solve more and more problems. My favorite innovation story is the, is writing in space. I'm sure you've heard it before, but you know, the Americans built this incredibly sophisticated ink pen that, you know, all ink pens work with gravity, so they couldn't write in, in space. The Russians gave their astronauts pencils, you know, and so all the ingenuity that was put in creating a pen that can write in the, with the absence of gravity could have been deployed to the next problem that the astronauts would have, would have encountered. Yeah, a hundred percent. I love it. So Francesco, a couple last questions for you. One would be. And we've kind of touched on it in, in a few different ways, but I like to ask, where do you see the banking and financial services industry going in the future? And or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? That's a quite a profound question that I think the industry has faced for a long time. And, you know, I actually think that the most, in banking, sometimes we get excited about the art of the possible. And we get a lot of innovation in the margin, which is interesting. And in some cases is, you know, it's what allows you to attract your customer. I think that the biggest challenge and that the financial industry and customers in the, that, that need financial products will face in the future and the banks will face is safety with, with so much of our financial lives, our identity being digital. It's the safety of, of our customers is going to be the most important thing. And the see for financial institutions is trust because, you know, even the, the financial decisions that you take, there's so many variables that go into deciding whether you've done the right thing and, you know, everything can be tweaked and, and adjusted. The currency is trust and you have to trust the financial institution keeps you safe knows you and has your best interest in mind and therefore will will do the right thing by you as you go along. And to me, that's where the majority of our ingenuity should go. A profound answer to a profound question, for sure. I appreciate that, Francesco. So last question would just be, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say not that I haven't done it, but I realized that I've done it more and more is be yourself and trust your instincts and then have fun in the process. And that to me is very important because when you're yourself and you are having fun, you deliver the best that you have, right? And I've always been a lot better at being me than being someone else. You know what I mean? And so find what gives you enthusiasm, find what gives you purpose, because you're going to be amazing at doing it. And sometimes I've tried to be someone that I thought I wanted to be, and I've never been good at doing that. It's only when I did things that gave me joy, that gave me joy, that stimulated my curiosity. So that's my other sort of 
that's how I like to manage people. I, you know, it, it's like manage your strengths, even to yourself. It's like, be aware of your weaknesses always, but always double down on your strength because that's what's going to make you grow. Getting a little better at your weaknesses, that's going to make you great. What's going to make you great is really ma- measuring on your strengths. hundred percent. I mean, it just great way to end things. Francesco, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Likewise, it was great. Thank you for inviting me. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.